please turn also to the New Testament. We are in Ephesians chapter 2. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. This also is God's holy word. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he indeed is the one who reconciles the, the world to you. And, Father, we thank you that he is also the one who brings together Jew and Gentile and every difference between man that separates them. We thank you, Father, that he made one new man out of the two. Father, that we have access to to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that he made peace between God and man. But by his perfect work, by the good news of the gospel, he also makes peace between men and men. Father, we pray that we might acknowledge that Jesus alone is the hope that we have for true unity. That the world cannot offer us any hope of forgiveness, nor can it offer us any hope of unity. Father, we pray in thanks for our Lord Jesus, indeed, is raised from the grave. That in him, we have our hope of new life. Father, we thank you that we who were once far off, that you brought us near by the blood of your son. We pray, Father, that if any are here who do not know you, we pray that you might do a mighty work. We pray, Father, for the good news of the gospel to go forward with power this day, that your people would embrace it and live upon it, trust in it, and obey it. We pray, Father, that your son would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 
How often is it that we hear about people who want to talk about unity? They have great promises of unity, that they're going to establish uh, heaven on earth, that there's going to be unity. And it, and it seems like each, each time these great people who come in with great power, that it begins with the killing, the massacre of thousands, if not millions, millions of people being killed. This is what happened in World War II. Various groups, hey, we're going to have unity, but unity begins with execution. And here we, we think about the many who come. The many false messiahs, they all promise unity. You know what? Listen, if you, if you follow my instruction, then there will be unity. There's only one means of unity, and that's Jesus Christ. Since the fall, there is no further hope of unity that's possible. It's impossible outside of the work of Jesus Christ. If, if you believe, you know what? If we follow these rules that these, that these wise people have given us, we can have unity. No, there's only one source of unity, and that's Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you're thinking that there's another way to unity, you realize you've been deceived. Jesus alone is the one who brings us true unity. He brings us unity with the Father. He brings us unity with our fellow man. Here in this book of Ephesians, we come to this section, chapter 2. Perhaps we can uh, say that chapter 2 here is an expansion on the verses in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. When the Apostle Paul writes, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So here in Ephesians 2... In this section, verses 11 to 22, he's describing uh, how things on earth are united in Christ. And the way that he does this is that God sends his son, that in verse four, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, that he himself is our peace. That he establishes peace with God for us. He also establishes peace between men. And that... Instead of, uh, instead of two men, that there is one man. We're, we're told that in place of the two making peace, that he established one new man. Here we ought to understand, and earlier in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 10, he speaks about Christ's perfect work in redeeming the individual. And then in our section here, in verses 11 through 22, he addresses the matter of Christ's redeeming work regarding the church, corporately. So the truth that we see in today's passage, your former life was hopeless and godless, but Christ has redeemed you by his blood and reconciled you to the Father. Your former life was hopeless and godless, but Christ has redeemed you by his blood and reconciled you to the Father. We'll look at this in two points. The first, your previous separation from God. And the second point, your current fellowship through Christ. So the first point, your previous separation from God in verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here we think about what we covered earlier. <clears throat> And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, uh, 
when the Apostle Paul begins this chapter by saying that you were dead in trespasses and sins. And how God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. That this is the description of God's work of salvation in, in, in the individual, in, in one person, in your life, in your heart. And what we as Americans uh, in the church can understand is, is God's work in individuals. What we have a harder time understanding is in this next section, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, God's work of salvation corporately within the church. Well, what does that even mean? You know, people think, well, don't you have to have individual faith to be saved? Well, yes, you you can't be saved by someone else's faith. But the, the work of Jesus Christ doesn't end with just the individual. That God didn't save us so that we would be islands to our, uh, unto ourselves, right? That, that we would all live by ourselves and do our own thing. No, he, he saved God's people and he, he desires that they would be united into Christ's church, which is his body. In verses 11 to 13 here, we, we have a description about your pre-Christian past, the gravity of your sin and the darkness and despair that's involved with sin. We have in verses 14 to 18, it's the centerpiece of Christ's reconciling death. He's the one who makes peace. And here, this peace is between God and man, but it's also between men, all, it's also between men, making one new man out of the two. No longer are there two groups, there's only one group. And in verses 19 to 22, we have the application of this truth about peace, that God's plan for harmony in the building up of Christ's church, that this household of God, this, this church of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, we have the sign of your separation. And this sign is this circumcision. We ought to be careful about criticizing that which God himself has given so we, we shouldn't look back to the Old Testament and mock anything that God instituted. That we should be far from that. There's a difference between what God has given us and what man uh, sinfully and incorrectly received. I hope you understand that. So, so the Jews were given one thing by God. And you and I, we ought to understand that as we have received that. When we look at Abraham, this man who... who lived however many thousands of years ago, however, however many thousand miles away from where we are here in Minnesota, of all places, that we ought not to think, you know, he, he's just some guy who was a Jew. No, this, this man is our forefather. That when we look at the lineage, when we look at the Bible, we read the Old Testament, we ought to see that this man was our forefather in the faith. We should identify with him. Beyond whatever cultural or, or, um, or chronological time boundaries, right? whatever cultural boundaries there are, whatever continental boundaries that we ought to identify with him because we're told that, that Abraham was, was the forefather of those who are of, of the lineage, the blood of Abraham, but also those, you and I, who are of the faith of Abraham. So this circumcision God gave... And there was nothing wrong with it. What was wrong with it is that man sinfully understood it and received it. Here we, we have the description about the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile. So the Gentiles in the flesh 
They're called the uncircumcised. Oh, they're uncircumcised. And, and then the Jews were saying, hey, we're the circumcised, right? It's great to be the Jew. We're the circumcised people. And here we, we have, when you think about Romans chapter 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writing this letter. And he begins by addressing the matter of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he speaks about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And for the Gentile, he says, listen, you don't have to look long, nor do you have to look deep, nor do you have to look far. It is out, it is on the surface, right? It is, it is evident. Everything about the Gentiles is, it, it, it's there, right? The wickedness is there. There's the, the suppression of, of, Righteousness, rejection of God, of turning away from the truth. He says, it's all there to be seen. In the rest of that chapter, Romans chapter 1, he expands upon it. They, they, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship created things. They exchange their passions. Uh, they exchange their passions for those women with women, men with men. And then he turns to the Jew in, in chapter 2, and he addresses, okay, now wait a minute. This has got to be more subtle. It's going to be more subtle. They've been given the law. But he says, you who have received the law, you boast in the law. But he, he questions us, hey, listen, are you those who actually obey the law? Right? You boast that you have the law, but he says, no, you, you, that's not right. You shouldn't boast that you have the law. Right? You should be those who obey the law. So you have the enmity. That the Jews took the sign of circumcision, the sign of God's covenant, and it became to them, hey, we're going to focus not on the sign, we're going we're, we're to focus not on the substance, we're going to focus on the sign. Think about it this simply. The Jews were boasting in missing a piece of skin. Is that funny? Hey, we boast that we... We're missing a piece of skin. That's what it, what it amounts to. And the Apostle Paul, in rebuking his, his countrymen, he had says, hey, all those of you who are boasting, missing this piece of skin, why don't you just go ahead and emasculate it entirely? And says, hey, then maybe you'd have something to boast about. No, of course not. But here, the idea is, hey, are you going to boast in missing a piece of skin? That you, somehow you're better than someone else? Just think about the significance of circumcision was the spiritual aspect. In Genesis chapter 17, this is where God instituted circumcision. God said to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This was the covenant that God would be God to them and to their descendants after them. There's a lot of misunderstanding about this text. Even those within the Christian church who have a different understanding uh, uh, about uh, the sacraments. Right here in, in verse 10, chapter Genesis 17, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So here, people take the covenant with Abraham... They call it the covenant of circumcision. They quote verse 10, and they say, what is there to misunderstand? Every male among you shall be circumcised, period. And they say, that is the covenant. It's like, no, that's not the covenant. 
Because the very next verse, you should be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So for those who misunderstand it and say, hey, there's no connection between circumcision and baptism, it's because they're saying, hey, the sign of circumcision was merely an external sign. The covenant with Abraham itself was only an external covenant. Because no, you've missed it. Verse 7, to be God to you and your descendants after you, that's not merely an external thing. This is not merely uh, an outward thing. And this is what the Jews were lacking. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about two groups in verse 11. You have the Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. And then you have uh, uh, what is called the circumcision, which is made by the, the flesh, made in the flesh by hands. So he's talking about Jews who are only Jews outwardly. He's not talking about Jews inwardly. Because the Jew inwardly would be like the Apostle Paul, who, who has a heart for the lost, who has a heart for the Gentile, and desires to see Gentiles come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. This true transformation is the circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. This is, this is the true meaning of circumcision. The outward sign was merely pointing to the inward reality, the circumcision of the heart. This is spiritual heart surgery that only God can do. Man cannot accomplish it. This is why the Apostle Paul is highlighting circumcision by hands. It's only an outward sign. He's saying that the Jew, who was a Jew outwardly, that wasn't enough. And the Gentile who was uncircumcised, that wasn't enough. He was making, Jesus is making one new man out of the two. That the Gentile would have true circumcision. That the Jew who was outwardly circumcised would be inwardly circumcised as well. Here, we think about differences. This separation between Jew and Gentile. That it's not just Jew and Gentile that Jesus comes to reconcile. He reconciles all kinds of differences. There ought to be differences in the church. There ought to be people of different heights. There ought to be people of, of male and female. There ought to be people of different cultures, of, of different social economic backgrounds. There ought to be differences within the Christ church because God created people differently. Differences exist. And Satan comes in there. And he wants these differences to divide people. He wants to create doubt. Hey, those people, their past, that they've oppressed you. That you, you are those who have been oppressed by them throughout history. That this is how people try to spin history. Right? We, we think about uh, history. And we have a biblical history. And contrary to the world's view that, that sells this message of, hey, there's this, been this history of oppression, right? I, I see a history of oppression in our, in our scriptures, right? Started with Cain and Abel, right? There was a history of, of wickedness oppressing righteousness, right? We look at what Joseph's brothers did to him, right? There's wickedness oppressing righteousness. And, and that cycle continued. We look at what Jesus... Uh, what the Jewish leaders did to Jesus. See the cycle? is wickedness oppressing righteousness. It had nothing to do with, with wealth necessarily. It had nothing to do with color. It had nothing to do with uh, any of those cultural differences. 
That, that's, that's not the cycle. The cycle was wickedness oppressing righteousness. The men allow these differences to divide. These differences divide us. This is where Satan is already at work. We start to look, the casting that glance upon others saying, hey, they're the bad people. That men begin to take pride. Hey, at, at least the Lord didn't make me like one of those, whatever that group might be. Right? So you think about the Jew talking about the tax collector. I'm thankful that you didn't make me like one of those. And there's a disdain involved to the point where men no longer see other men as created in the image of God. They see them as animals. So the Jew referred to the Gentile as what? As a dog. Right? Because you think about dogs back then. I mean, dogs ate rotting flesh. You have children, right? Dogs clean up after your children, and that's a euphemism, cleaning up after your children. They don't, they don't pick up your children's toys. They do other things. And to, to the Jews, that'd be disgusting, right? You call the Gentiles dogs. And you get to the point where when you stop seeing men as humans created in the image of God, then you know that you have a problem. A wise man once said, first they get you to believe absurdities, and then they get you to commit atrocities. In one culture in the past, I recall, there, were, there was warfare in their history. In order to get one group to kill the other group, you have to get them to think that they're subhuman. To the point where one group says, they over there are no better than a pig. In fact, they're worse than a pig because at least you can eat a pig for food. And what was next? Extermination. You get one group to, to massacre the other group. You have to get them to think that they're subhuman. And you, you think about how Satan delights when this happens. This happens in the world. And sadly, that happens. That, that teaching of the world gets brought into the church. Gets brought into the church. And here... We think about how these differences, rich and poor, today, the forefront is rich and poor and black and white, right? Not Jew and Gentile anymore. But you realize that when we come to Christ, at the cross of Jesus Christ, the ground is level. No, no one has any advantage or disadvantage. We're all equally disadvantaged, right? We're, we're all, we all have the massive strikes against us. We, we all are descendant from Adam. No one has any advantage over everyone else. We all fail. We all fail together. Here, we think about the differences. We think about how God has made people different. We're not the same. We're not to allow these differences to divide us. And we ought to be thankful that the Lord is the one who unites people. He unites us by the good news of the gospel. Because we all need it. We all need it desperately. We're all in need of his grace. No one has any boast above another. Here we have in verse 12. Five descriptions of your separation from God. The first mentioned is separated from Christ. I hope you come to understand how important Christ is in your life. Jesus is not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is a huge difference. There is not many ways to heaven. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Son. 
right here, Jesus proclaims this exclusivity. He is the only way to the Father. The world says, hey, Christians, you are myopic, you are foolish, you are arrogant. It would be if we made up that message, but we didn't. Our Lord Jesus told us that when he said, I am the only way to the Father. It would be arrogance, yes, if men made it up. It would be arrogance if Jesus were wrong, but he indeed is true. He is the only way to the Father. So to be separated from Christ, you realize, is to be separated from everything that is good. That whatever good we have in this life, it pales in comparison to having Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.12 Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you're in Christ, you have life. If you're outside of Christ, you're, you continue in death. So to be separated from Christ, wow, this is a terrible thing. Second, we have alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, that they were God's people. Think about the things that were said about Israel. Deuteronomy 4, verses 7 and 8. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whoever, whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Think about the beginning, the beginnings of the Christian church. Here we have, well... Was Adam the first member of the church, right? But then here, you look ahead, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, right? In the early parts of Genesis, we have the calling of Abraham, right? It was a person and his family. And then you look in, in Exodus, right, with the giving of the law that this was a constituted people. As we have a constitution, right, you have the Ten Commandments, that this was God saying, hey... The, the people of Israel has spread just beyond the descendants of Abraham. You think about how Joseph and Jacob, his father, and the, their line, they, they came to Egypt, right? Seventy people came to Egypt, and it expanded so that this family became a nation. And God's design was not merely that salvation or his favor, his blessing will remain with this nation of Israel. God's design, Isaiah 49 verse 6, was that Israel would be a light to the nations, that his salvation would extend to the ends of the earth. That God's design was Israel, you would bring this good news to the ends of the earth, which is what they didn't do. You see also, strangers to the covenants of promise. Here, Strangers to the covenants of promise. Like, that God reveals his will. His will for our salvation. In the covenants. In scripture. These covenants are important. Because when you think about. Hey what claim do you and I have. Before the almighty God. We can only claim. What he has promised us in his word. You cannot claim. Lord. You need to give me a Lamborghini. Or a Ferrari. Right, but I'll settle for a Corvette or whatever. No, none of those things, none of those things count. He hasn't promised us any one of those things. 
when you and I pray, our prayer should be, we should be pleading the promises that He has made. I'll spell out a simple difference. Second Samuel chapter 7. Here God is talking about the difference between King Saul and soon to be King David. That God said His favor departed from Saul. Saul sinned. And God departed from him. But he promised there in Second Samuel chapter 7, he said that my love, my favor, will not depart from David as it departed from Saul. That God would be one who would forgive his people. That, that God would be one who would give us a mediator in Jesus Christ. That that was the promise in Second Samuel chapter 7. That there would be one forever to occupy the throne of David. It's not David and his, his line would never come to an end. It did come to an end. Right? It ended. It was a long reign, but it came to an end. What he's talking about is that Jesus, the son of David, would reign forever. So these covenants of promise, they're reminders about how God would eventually send the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, to die on the cross and be the savior of his, of his people, to be the savior of the world. We have that in Galatians 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So that scene in, in Genesis chapter 22, when God calls Abraham, Hey, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, Isaac, to me. After that, God said, through your seed, meaning one, now not through all, all of your descendants, but through your seed, your one seed, we're told, that's Jesus Christ, that all the nations of the world will be blessed. That this covenant would extend to the ends of the earth. Here, having no hope. Having no hope. Hope is, is the product of having faith. Because if you and I have faith in Jesus Christ, we can have hope in life. And how painful it is to, to, to see people, to meet people who are lacking in hope. It's strange how things work. In other nations where people barely have enough to eat, it seems like their issues with despair, depression, and suicide are much less. Hey, if all of their time is occupied with trying to get enough food to eat for yourself and, and your children... Seems like life seems pretty simple. There, there's a mercy there in God in providing people who who need to figure out where their next meal is coming from. Because then you have other countries like ours, our culture, where people have more than enough food, they have so much time on their hands, and they start to wonder about the meaning of life, and then they come to despair. They they come to hopelessness and their life ends in suicide. Why, why is it that we have such a high rate of suicide in our country versus other countries that have much less wealth? It's because wealth wasn't the answer to that. And so I ask you, what was your life like before Christ? Did you have hope? Was there joy and gladness in your life? Here, I want you to see that your life wasn't fine. 
hey, I would have been fine without you. He, you, you see, he's secure about these people in high school or college. You know, hey, they, they break up and, and hey, my life was fine before I met you, right? And then we break up and go our separate ways, right? Hey, none of us can say that about Jesus, right? Our life wasn't fine before we met him. You have to admit, our life was in the dumps. There was hopelessness. It's only with Jesus that true hope came. True life came. Having no hope and without God in the world there. That's the last mention in verse, verse 12. And without God in the world. This is not saying, this is very similar to the word atheist, right? It's not that the Gentiles were without gods. We're told in various parts of scripture, like in 1 Corinthians, that it's not that they had no God, they, they had no shortage of gods. The Gentiles being polytheists, believing in many gods. What they were without is they were without the one true and living God. That's what, that's what we were lacking. Can you imagine for a moment? Can you imagine for a moment what life would be like if you go to work, if you go to the doctor, if you, uh, you go to school, if you come home and suddenly you're hit with some kind of massive tragic news, biggest disappointment, whatever that might be, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, horrible diagnosis. And imagine if you, you could not bring that to your God. You couldn't, you couldn't go to a place, shoot, where, where do I go at this point? Right? There's not an 800 number that I can call to fix this. No. We as Christians have the privilege of prayer. We have the privilege of prayer for ourselves. That we, can, we can bring our griefs. We can bring our, our panics. We can bring our sadness before our God. We, we have a place that that's our 800 number. Right? It's, it's always available. And, and you think about, well, what would we be without Christ? We have no one who, who assures us that the, 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 phone, the phone call will be answered, right? That there's no access to the Father outside of Jesus Christ. Without God in the world. Without hope. Without God in the world. That's what we would be. And perhaps at times we, we think so lightly about the matter of prayer. We think so lightly about, hey, what about the people that live next to us? They have all kinds of problems. They have no one to take it to. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Perhaps you're asking me at this point, what is the point of all this? Are you bringing this just to make me feel bad about how I live before Christ? No. Not, that's not the point at all. It's not to, not to, to, to take you through memory lane. You know, have, you, have you seen some of these things where the church puts together like a, a history book, right? I, I remember seeing a friend of mine who he was, he's in his, oh, he's probably close to 80 by now. But I saw a picture of him, right, at the groundbreaking of this church plant that he was involved in. And, and I said, hey, this is great. But then I look at what kind of clothes he's wearing and I said, hey. Look at the horrific outfit you had, right? This ugly plaid and, and whatever colors. And that's like, wow, man, people called that fashion back then. And, and we think about that. You know what? We go back memory lane just to, to make people feel bad. Or are, are we going through the negatives so that we might understand these two essential things? The greatness of 
your salvation in Jesus Christ, we have to we have to get two things down correctly. The first is you come to the realization of your condition apart from Christ. And the second thing, you come to the realization of your condition because of Christ. We come to see the depth of what we lacked and what we were not. And then in Christ, you come to understand the greatness of what you have and what you are in Christ. And here, the scriptures, it seems like Paul is constantly going back in Ephesians to what you were. He's going down memory lane so you and I might come to a greater appreciation of your hope in Jesus Christ. So this is the first point, your previous separation from God. Second point, I assure you, be a lot briefer. Your current fellowship through Christ in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here, Jesus does what no one else or nothing else can do. It's not as if anyone else can bring salvation to sinners. It's not as if uh, there would be an end to any of our penance, so to say. It's only Jesus Christ who comes. That he is the one who is able to save to the uttermost those to, who come to God through him. He alone is the one who, who offered the sacrifice of himself. And then he sat down at the right hand of God because his work was, was done. At least the work of, of atoning for the sins of his people. That work was done. There's also no other way that men can be united outside of Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that there can be true unity. And that divisions can be removed. It's not merely a matter of geography. Verse 13, but now in Christ you who were once far off. Perhaps you can think about the description of the Jewish temple. And, and how all except for, for Phil Resnick, our, our elder there in, in Cincinnati who's, who's of Jewish blood, right? If there was a temple, we would all be in that court of the Gentiles. And, and that's, really, that's really far away from the holiest of holies, right? Where, that, where the, the high priest went once a year. And you have the court of the Gentiles was as far as you can get. And the description is, those of you who are far have been brought near. This is not just a matter of geography, though. Those of you who were far from God, lacking any spiritual good. There was nothing spiritually good that we could do. That we've been brought near by Jesus Christ. That we've been brought to God. How is this that Jesus brings you near he brings you near, we're told here in verse 13, and brought near by the blood of Christ. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That this is the blood of the covenant. His blood poured out so that our sins might be forgiven. That our sins might be washed away, that we might be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We're brought near by our union with Christ through faith. That through faith, we are united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. So there is a, a funeral for the old man. So when we're baptized, it's as if there was a man who died. The old man died, and there's a new man that is raised. By 
He brings you near by bringing many into the ministry of his body, the church. That being saved, we, we would not remain by ourselves, lonely, but that we might come together for the worship of God. We're told that these are the people that God seeks, true worshipers. He also desires that we would be equipped. Uh, he would equip the saints. The, the saints would be equipped for service, the works of service, and that we might have fellowship one with another. That this is through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're brought near. We're brought near by what we're told here is the covenant of grace. We read about it earlier in our worship service. That this covenant of grace extends from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And in the Old Testament it was like this door. This door that's being cracked open. Where you start to see this glimpse. Well there would be from Abraham then this descendant. That God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this seed is Jesus Christ, of course. And we see God's plan in Isaiah 56. We read earlier. Here, in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, that's not his plan. Verse 6, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Isn't, isn't this last line what Jesus was saying? Was it in John chapter 10? That he has others also that he will gather. Besides just the Jews, he said, I'm going to gather other, other sheep also. That you who are in Christ, we're told in verse 5 here, that I will give my... I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And this is God's design all along. That you who are in Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you would be saved. You'd be saved by our Lord Jesus. That he has a plan for you. Not that you would, uh, you would be brought to shame. But that you... Not because of anything you've done would be exalted, that you would be raised, that you would receive glory, that you would be forgiven of your sins. And it comes not by our works, as if that were never ever enough. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ, that we believe upon his promise, that we trust in him, that we forsake our sins, that this indeed is good news. He brings us to a new and a living hope in Jesus Christ, that our Lord Jesus is that hope of new life. That having Jesus, we would have the Father also. That these are the promises and the good news of the gospel. That he might transform our thinking. That he might remind us of the great gratitude you and I ought to have in our Lord Jesus. That he has raised us anew. That we are dead to the old man, the old woman. That we ought to continue living this life for his glory. That we might trust in Him. That we may have compassion upon others who are far away. Who are without hope and with God, without God in this world. That we would be 
bearers of good news to them. That God desires worshipers. And that as we speak to others, that we should desire that others would worship him. May we go to our God together in prayer.